Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Kat Goddard from the Timber Pines Tennis Club in Spring Hill, Florida, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Kat, in Florida. No doubt sunny Florida, which is very much uh, the opposite to what it is here in Solihull, Matt Roberts, as I return to the tennis podcast after, after a week or more, certainly more than I was supposed to have in sunny split in Croatia, which was delightful. Blimey, neck, what have you been doing with the weather since I last was on this podcast? The news I was watching last night said that we've had a month's worth of rain in five days and it sure feels like it and tonight (laughs) tonight i'm going to glasgow so i could be in for more oh dear yeah i mean look the 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 plus side to that listeners is that it means you're going to be getting daily tennis podcasts throughout the duration of the billy jean king cup finals which is where matt is going to report for us um yeah the downside is that uh you don't really see daylight very often, uh, even if you're outside. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, we we do love Glasgow as well. We've covered um, many a Davis Cup tie there, and uh, and uh, have you you haven't been before, have you, Matt? I've never been to Scotland. Wow, mm. <laughs> I don't quite know how that's happened, but it has. But I'm making up for it tonight. He's been to Australia. He's going to go to Australia again next month. We've just booked, well, two months' time now, isn't it? We've just booked the tickets, all three of us. We've booked our Airbnb. We're trying to apply for a visa so that they, you know, say, yeah, okay, you can come in. Um, But yes, the tennis podcast is planning to be out in force at the Australian Open. And uh, Cat in Florida, do listen to us throughout. Everybody else, hope you're enjoying the tennis podcast. These two have been doing a sterling job in my absence. Um, And we have so many podcasts coming your way. We have so much to talk about, quite frankly, because there is an enormous amount of tennis congested into this period of November, isn't there? And we're we're with you today, ostensibly to talk about the the group stages that have just been completed of the WTA finals. Of course, we've got Paris going on at the moment as well, where today Novak Djokovic will take on Holger Rune 
of Denmark and Catherine's presenting that for Amazon Prime Video in the UK so she's going to be back with us tomorrow morning is the plan so we'll properly review the week in Paris on tomorrow's podcast uh, and we'll also be able to look back on the semi-finals of the WTA finals as well. Matt will be up in Glasgow I'll tell you what it's a massive old jigsaw this is that we're putting together to work out what we're talking about when with whom (laughs) and when so yeah, I think this is the earliest pod recording that we've ever done, pre nine o'clock on a on a Sunday morning, just to fit it all in. I mean, we have recorded at eight thirty before, but normally, you know, we haven't been to bed yet. That's normally after the, after a US Open day. Uh, yes. So yes, morning recordings, evening recordings, trying to fit it all in around the huge amount of tennis which is happening. Yeah, now there may be listeners among you who are thinking, (laughs) well, hold on, I'm fairly sure that, David, you once got up at 4am whilst Catherine was in a different time zone in order to record a (laughs) podcast. Yes, I did. That was pre-Matt Roberts, folks, because yesterday was hashtag Matt Roberts Day, which is a day that Matt... Uh, slightly cringes about and a day that Catherine and I invented to celebrate exactly four years since we first handed Matt a microphone and said talk tell us about Karen Hatchinov and his exploits in Paris yes you're right I do cringe on that day but it is (laughs) it is very lovely people always say lots of lovely things but it I mean it does seem that no matter the tennis takes I might have you know the thoughts I give on on the sport I dedicate many many hours of my life too it seems that the one thing our listeners will remember above everything else was was when i sang layla yes that's it and and i've seen a few token kosmova mentions yes yeah, that as too well. that too <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's lovely to have you with us, Matt, as it always is. You are the man. And uh, let's talk about the WTA finals, which have been, well, really interesting on a number of levels. And, I mean, the semi-final lineup is also really, really fascinating. And it isn't the semi-final lineup I I, I would have expected. Um, And I think the reason for that is the emergence of Maria Sakkari and the form she has put together over the last week. Um, Two groups of four players, the Nancy Ritchie group, the Tracy Austin group, um, and Sakkari went 3-0 in her group. And she she did an interview with Rima Abilil for Eurosports website. And and there was so much rich content to this this article. I do... recommend you having a read of it because I think it gives an insight into the depths that Maria Sakkari plummeted uh, to over the last six six or eight months really the reasons she gives for it and how she's kind of digging herself out of it and how she sees herself improving and and prospering from here I mean just to give you a a little idea of of the run she's had she's beaten three players over the last week Arena Sabalenka, Ons Jabeur, Jessica Pagula Um, and so it's now going to be Sakari and Sabalenka through from that group it's going to be Sakari up against Caroline Garcia of France it's going to be Iga Svantec against Arena Sabalenka that's your semi-final lineup but this article about Sakari talks about how she got to a a ranking inside the world's top five for the first time. And basically, Matt, I think it freaked her out. It it made her think, I'm supposed to be a certain way. This means, I don't know whether I have to change, but certainly it 
it it cost her her freedom out on the court is that is that how how it came across to you it is yeah i think that's exactly right i think she has been pretty open about yeah struggling to deal with being that top player and that increased expectation and increased spotlight that word you use freedom has really i think characterized her tennis this week in fort worth it it's so funny isn't it confidence is something that you just cannot really measure but you can see it and feel it and she's been a player devoid of confidence all season and now she suddenly seems a bit looser a bit freer on the court I read an interview where she said that she actually had a conversation with her coach Tom Hill after San Diego and they discussed shutting the season down there and then and not even playing Guadalajara and trying to get into the WTA finals and Tom Hill apparently said to her, look, take a few days before you make that decision. And I just think maybe perhaps drawing that line, she's just played played the end of this season now with a bit less, bit less pressure on her. And yeah, still, despite how good she was in Guadalajara, I talked about it with Catherine on the podcast the other week. She didn't play very well in the final there, you know, against, mm-hmm. against Jessica Pagula. So it felt like as as positive as that week was, there was still a sort of negative finish. So I wasn't confident really about her coming in to this tournament. I certainly didn't have her down to be the first one through to the semi-finals on my, you know, sort of bingo card for the week. That was a real shock to me that she just came out playing so well. And it's been great. I think the conditions suit her. And yeah, I think maybe maybe it was an advantage for her that her very first match in the group was against Pagula, who she, who she just played in Guadalajara. Mm. And it was almost like she could have learned from that match and could take something from it and just start this tournament on the front foot. And she's just, you know, picked up there in, in every match she's played. It's been it's been really good to see, actually, because I like Zachary a lot. And when she's playing well, I think she's a, she's a great watch because she's so intense and she's kind of unlike anyone else out there. And yeah, it's been, it's been the Zachary that we've seen in the past this week. It's been good. Yeah, and she's been doing it as a front runner in these matches mm. as well. There's not been the the wobbles really mm. when she's been getting into to important moments. So maybe she's cracked something this this week. And and look, we'll get on to talk about Jessica Pagula in a moment or two because I think she's a talking point in her own right in this tournament, given the form she came in with and the way it hasn't gone her way. But in that article as well by Reem uh, uh, on the Eurosport website. It quotes Tom Hill, her coach, who she's been with for several years now, Maria Sakkari, and that I mean they are talking about wanting to they would like to spend the rest of her career together as a force, which in in an era when players chop and change coaches so regularly, I I, I do find myself drawn to that. I, I like to hear that in a way. It's nice to see a a stable combination that is prospering and, and, and continuing to kind of work through the troughs I suppose because she's had some rough moments this year he was saying Tom Hill British coach he was he, he used the word dominate for next year he said that I think that if she can build from where she is she could actually dominate now I don't know I don't know whether he meant within a match I assert herself and impose herself because she's got a big game or whether she whether he means that She's suddenly going to be shunting Iga Sviantec out of the way. <laughs> I was going to say, game. has he has he heard of Iga Sviantec? <laughs> <laughs> I think he probably means, you know, within points that that she's the sort of player 
and within matches that can her presence and her approach mm. and her way of playing can just take the racket out of your hand. We'll, we'll talk about Caroline Garcia a little bit later, the way she's been doing that the last four or five months as well. But anyway, I, w- I wouldn't mind getting clarification, clarification on that, Tom, if, you, if you're listening, um, who I think is from my neck of the woods. So uh, anyway, never met him, <laughs> maybe one day. Um, but it's going to be fascinating to find out how Zachary gets on now um, because, you know, it's it's so different when you get to the, the semi-final stages. Suddenly she's playing the player who finished second in the Tracy Austin group, which is Caroline Garcia, and they're just going to be coming out throwing haymakers at each other, aren't they? We'll we'll preview that in a minute. Um, but I mentioned Jessica Pagula, Matt. 0-3 she went in the group stages, and she also went 0-3 with Coco Goff in the doubles. And Coco Goff also went 0-3. So they've played nine matches and won zero between them, which... Coming into this event, I think if you'd have asked me for any prediction, that would be the least likely set of circumstances that I could have imagined. Because Pegula came into this tournament in tip-top form. She always seems so level-headed and, and composed. Goff, I, I mean, seems to have energy to burn most of the time, but it, it feels like they've both hit the wall. It does. It feels like that. It looks like that. The results suggest that, I think. Pagula has has basically said as much um, and it's an interesting talking point isn't it of course because of the fact that this tournament is so close in the calendar to the Billie Jean King Cup finals next week and Iga Svantec had already made the point that they're too close together she'd chosen to just play the WTA finals pull out of the Billie Jean King Cup finals whereas Goff and Pagula had committed to both and as far as I'm aware they're still going to Glasgow and they're going to try and give their all there for the USA. But Goff certainly has played over 100 matches across singles and doubles. And I know she's a, I know she's a teenager. I know she's got lots of energy, but everyone has a limit. And maybe you don't even know yourself what that limit is. They're, they're both inexperienced, really, in terms of playing that many matches on the tour. I know Pagula's a lot older, but, you know, she's not been an established top tour player for that long Um, she also said that she was a bit sick in the week and she made a very interesting point that normally in a knockout tournament you have a lot of time to get over a loss whereas her you know I think this was probably her first time playing round robin and she said you know after she lost that opening match and then she lost the doubles on the same day suddenly seven to play again in a couple of days. It's a very new thing for these players to have to adapt to. And I just think maybe mindset-wise, she wasn't quite in the right place to be able to do that this week. And it it all just, as you said, escalated to bring this 0-9 record together. And, And to me, that is the shock of the tournament, as you said, because... I wasn't sure. I, th- I thought they would both probably go through the group stages, to be honest, especially Pagula. I was I was just so confident in her in that group, the, the tennis she'd been playing. Um, but yeah, you just you just don't know when when you're at your limit, I think. And absolutely, that's where Pagula was. She's she, she's not been herself. And I just think a player like her and Goff, they have to be so locked in in a match because they don't have anything to really separate themselves from the field what what their great strength is is their consistency and and being there the whole time and Pagula in particular if you're just a little bit off 
it makes a massive difference to your game and she's been a shadow of of herself really mm. it's good it makes for a very interesting decision for them and for the united states when they get to billy jenkin cup doesn't it because Catherine Rinaldi's got a squad. She's got a squad of players, good squad of players, but they are the number one players within it. And you know, we've been talking a lot over the last week ourselves, Catherine, you and me, on our WhatsApp, and it's been a big talking point within tennis about in in the British Davis Cup scene about doubles and whether Dan Evans should be picked. And he's made it very clear that he's not happy that he wasn't picked for doubles and uh, ahead of the the double specialists. And it's really it's it's really taken off as a talking point that has. And we we were going back in time thinking, well, who who would we have picked uh, at the the Davis Cup group stages recently? when Britain played against the United States and the Netherlands and it was it was Andy Murray and Joe Salisbury that were picked and um Catherine I know felt very strongly that she would have gone for Evans at that time and uh and I just think that they now face a really interesting selection don't they I mean you'll be in Glasgow in 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 a couple of days time to to kind of bring us the, the feel around that and and by then we'll know I suppose whether whether they've even made the trip you know, because it's a big commitment, isn't it? There they are in Fort Worth, you know, 40 minutes from Dallas. Massive time difference, hitting the wall, zero and nine, going into to Glasgow, uh, extending the season, all that sort of thing. And yet it might just be the thing that invigorates them because they're such passionate, patriotic people who, who are, are probably really good in a team environment. So it's... I do I do love that. I do love that set of kind of elements and 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 trying to work out well what would you do if if it were you. Mm. And USA have got options as you said they've got Madison Keys, Danielle Collins and Taylor Townsend also lined up to be part of the team in in Glasgow. There are combinations there that would, you know, be great in singles and doubles, I'm sure. The USA's first match in, in Glasgow is Poland on Wednesday night, I believe. Poland, obviously, without Igor Fiontek, I think, you know, USA would back themselves with their squad there to win that tie. But then their big one is the Friday night against Czech Republic. That's a massive wow. tie in the group stages. And, you know, that's it's almost, you know, it's five days from now. Maybe Pagula and Goff have have got a bit of time but to be honest it sort of looked like they needed weeks not days to kind of get back together so it's one of those that a football manager would call a good selection headache I think that Kathy Rinaldi's got because they do have options but sometimes it's nice to just know exactly what you need and commit to players and yeah I'm I'm absolutely fascinated to see how it unfolds over the next week or so yeah me too um Ons Jabeur and Arena Sabalenka, the other two players in that group. Sabalenka, I, I've only, I haven't watched all of her matches, but I've watched a little bit. And what just strikes me and has all year long is her demeanour on the court and her ability to to overcome disappointments and malfunction malfunctioning elements of her game. She's able to persevere. We used that word in one of our very first podcasts of the year during the Australian Open when she was hitting literally dozens of double faults and still finding ways to win tennis matches. She has shown a different side to herself this year. She's shown that again in abundance in this particular event to 
to okay not not go three and zero, but to to get through. And I don't really know what to make of Onsjebert. This is her first appearance at this season-ending event. I wonder whether that had an impact on her. I wonder whether the conditions did, because they do seem quite different in terms of the court speed and the way it's played to to everywhere else. It, and I mean, we'll get onto the the crowds a little bit later, and 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 just the environment because it is a cavernous stadium. Don't really know what to make of Jaber, but Sabalenka has kind of given us more of the same, I feel, this year. Totally. I think Jaber was one I was unsure about coming in. I, I thought just her basic quality really would, would serve her well and, and she would get through that group. But she hasn't played a lot since the US Open, has she? And she's also not played in America, you know, she's she went over to play in Tunisia, didn't she? That was a big, big event for her, obviously having been such a big part of helping helping that event to to develop. But yeah, she wasn't coming in with a lot of form, I suppose. So I'm not that surprised by by Jabir's week, I suppose. And Sabalenka, I shouldn't be surprised because, as you said, she's kind of done this all year, and yet I find myself watching her really taken in two directions. I'm both absolutely in awe of the fact that she's able to kind of play like that and yet still manage to win and keep control of a game and yet I'm also thinking aren't you better than this like you can be better than this why are you why are you still making so many errors and yet you're still managing to win it's a, it's a very confusing experience I find watching watching Sabalenka play tennis there's that there was that extraordinary stat that she had this year where every time she lost the first set in a grand slam she won the match and <laughs> and all of her losses from slams were therefore from a set up you know it was she's a confusing player very confusing <laughs> and that I, that that little stat i just think tells you kind of everything you need to know about sabalenka but as you said the word the word perseverance is is absolutely it i, I do think she's played better in fort worth than than she was certainly at the start of the year and I thought um, the hunger and the drive is always there. I absolutely never doubt that with her. And that can that can take you a pretty long way. Mm. So Zachary and Sabalenka through from that group. And, and just, just on Sabalenka quickly, I mean, you're right, because there have, there have been matches in the past, a couple of years ago, where she, she looked like a superhero, the way she would play tennis. She would just destroy opponents and render them irrelevant as as a force and now she's turned into this almost self-deprecating kind of comedian on the court as somebody who's, who's able to have a wry smile at the situation and still prevail and, and I, I if she could somehow find a way to meld the two <laughs> what a player um anyway they those two go through Zachary and Sabalenka and they will now face the top two in the Tracy Austin group Igor Sviantek going 3-0 and and looking better than ever really I mean just just to go through her matches in turn I watched all of them uh Kasatkina, she just overpowers Kasatkina. it's just it's such a a differential in terms of ability to take the ball on. Um, and then against Garcia, she was immediately on the back foot. Garcia was doing what she did when she beat her in Poland earlier this year, what she did for most of the last four or five months, standing inside the baseline, taking full swipes 
on the half folly and she got an early break up and you and I did think you know this is this is possible the way Garcia just has no doubts in her mind as to how she's going to play but it's it's like Shvantec her eyes narrow in that situation and she takes it on as a, as a separate challenge that that ability to slightly maneuver her, her 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 way of playing and not just kind of dominate because she can't but to react and to counter attack and to say come on then come on then i love this bring it on to me and i'm going to make you pay mm. and turn your power on on back onto you and that's that's what she did and garcia really only has one way of playing now at the moment i don't know whether there is any plan b i don't think there is her plan b is to just keep doing it hitting it as hard as she can hope that eventually that will prove too much and for for two out of three opponents you know it did we'll talk about the incredible match she had with kasakina last night in a minute and then once fiance was already qualified she beat coco golf last night six three six love handing yet another bagel to coco golf who that was a tough watch, really, at the end, and her, her tournament in general has been a tough watch. But you know, we'll we'll put that down to her hitting the wall. Although I have to say, as well, Goff's forehand is is just was just more worrying than ever this last week. And I think maybe maybe yes, the fatigue makes a shot like that stand out negatively even more so. But it just didn't look fit for purpose, to be honest, against a player like Sviantek, who who has found the spring form of 2022 again it seems to me is that fair totally i mean she's only lost 13 games in in those three matches that you've talked through there you know and that, that matches against the other best players in the world uh she's now won 15 matches in a row against top 10 players this season which is the joint best streak this century in a single season so if she wins the tournament she'll end up with she'll end up with the best streak uh, 22 bagel sets she's she's given out this year it's just it's just extraordinary and I agree it was the match against Garcia which really caught my eye because as you said matchup wise she's very comfortable against Kasakina she's very comfortable against Coco Goff at the moment but Garcia is the player who had beaten her this year albeit very different conditions and Garcia as you said started with incredible belief and broke early and to see Sviantec respond to that and react to that and adjust to that, I thought was remarkable. And she's she can she can half volley from the baseline, you know, when when Garcia's powering shots at her and still maintain the control. And and as you said, she really she really likes I think getting her teeth in a battle like that. I think so many of Sviantec's wins this season, as we've said, have been thrashings. But actually. She's really a great competitor as well, and you know you don't you don't get to be as good as her without that. And I just think seeing her have to kind of fight through against a player playing well is when I enjoy Sviantek the most in a way, and mm. that's exactly what she needed to do against Garcia in the first set. And once she did, she was just easily the better player. And yeah, she's she's looking in incredible form. And I know this is foolish, probably, but I'm I'm struggling to see a winner other than other than Sviantek from this event, to mm. be honest. Yeah, well, I can understand why. Uh, we'll, we'll do a little semi-final preview in a second, but uh, we should mention the Kasatkina garcia match of last night. Both you and I stayed up to watch that, albeit I fell asleep at 5 all in the third. <laughs> I'm getting to that age, Matt. Um, 
<laughs> um, but I did catch up on it this morning, uh, first thing, to, to watch what was a brilliant final set tiebreak. Um, that was a really good clash of styles because they couldn't be more different. You've got Garcia, who has always been an aggressive player, but has taken that to another level altogether in the last three or four months. And you've got Kasekina, who's always been a a web weaver, but who has been encouraged by her coach, uh, Carlos Martinez, on the sidelines. You can see him saying, move forward, move forward, get into the court, don't let her just dominate. And so she was trying to stand up to it, but she's trying to stand up to it with much loopier ground strokes and and using a slice as well, a lovely hands. And I, I did kind of think, I can't quite remember what the Kasekina Garcia record was coming in, but I always think of how Ons Jabera has got this dominant head-to-head against Garcia. And I think, well, surely Kasekina can do something similar. And, and she did cause trouble for her. And you could, what I loved about this match, it was the, it's, Really, the only time I'd truly love round robin is when they've got past the faff and suddenly they're into a winner gets to the semi-finals stage. And for some reason, that feels to feels like it elevates the occasion even more than if it was just a standard quarterfinal. Um, and and everything felt on it. The crowd seemed really into it last night, and and the nerves you could you could feel them. There were there were. Spectacular shanks coming off the racket of Garcia at times when she was in in nervous moments, but she was then reeling that that in and 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 managing to keep on the on the track. So the fact that she got through that tiebreak in the end was a was a massive accomplishment from Garcia. I thought. Yeah, I loved this match so much, and in particular that third set. And it, it was as you said, it was so interesting because they both. They both had the tools to drive each other a little bit mad, I think, because Kasatkina likes, as you said, those those longer rallies where she can weave her web. And yet Garcia has got so much power that she can just, you know, take the racket out of Kasatkina's hand. And yet on the other side, when they do get into those rallies, Kasatkina can put the ball in enough awkward spots and and can sort of force Garcia to make some mistakes. And I think... There were there was quite a lot of frustration from both players at, at various points in those in those first couple of sets, heightened of course as you said because qualification for the semi-finals was on the line. It was just an absolutely perfect scenario, and as as it got deeper and deeper into that third set, I thought Martina Navratilova said it said it well on the prime coverage. It was just a, a, a perfect mix of nerves and great shot making at the same time. You didn't really know what was coming next, you, but you knew it was going to be compelling watch either way. It was it was wild, it was dramatic. Kasakina held serve at 4-all in that third set. It was a 13-minute game. She saved six break points and managed to hold despite hitting four double faults in the game. There were some absolutely incredible shots in it. And yeah, it then it then went to the tiebreak and the, and the quality just, just elevated again. There were some brilliant rallies towards the end. And yeah, it's... It's a really big win for Garcia, I think, because we spoke on on Monday with Pam Shriver about the fact that you know her coach ditched her before this tournament, and this was that was an unsettling thing to happen, and I really wasn't sure what sort of state Garcia would be in, and yet she's she's really played well and really committed to that game style that you said that she's playing now. It's not like okay, the coach has gone and the coach who maybe helped implement that game style, it's not like she's abandoned it. She's stuck with it. And 
It doesn't always work because it, it does make her prone to errors, I think, being so aggressive. But it, it is the best thing for her, I think. And she's realised that. And I love the commitment she's got to it. And, and it paid off in, in the big moments yesterday. It is interesting, though, Matt, that whichever expert you hear from, all of them wanted to back up a bit yeah, and, and not have that return position that is a good foot inside the, the baseline, which personally I've always loved watching players do that <laughs> fun, just because of the psychological <laughs> impact of stepping in and, and enhancing your presence, you know, and, and looking huge in the court and all that. But, you know, the number of misses on the return of serve, and I think I think Sam Smith in the commentary mentioned the... The, her numbers are not good on return versus other players. Uh, she's way down because she's just miscuing so many because they're coming at her so fast and they're on her before she's got chance to react. And and you know Martina Navratilova in the in the coverage and Daniela Hantikova they just can't get their head round why she doesn't mix that up a bit. Yeah, I know. And look, they all know better than me. I just think. If you're going to play that way, you've got to be all in with that approach. There's no, there's right. no half measuring being aggressive. You know, you, that's what she's done her whole career. She's been a little bit stuck in between game styles. Now she's totally committed to this one, mm. and, and and personally, I prefer that. She, she seems, yeah, she seems to accept that she is going to make some errors. But look at the run she's been on this this year. Sure. She's getting the results. I also like the fact that that it brings into play her her volleying ability, which mm. has been honed on the doubles court for so many years. You know, she's played such a lot of doubles to a very high level. She's won doubles grand slams, and she seems to have a very secure technique up there. And it it simplifies things, doesn't it? This this approach to the sport. Totally. And actually, the point of doubles was something I was going to bring up with Pagula and. Goff because I was reminded this week I was just doing a little search of Igor Sviontek's career and I was reminded that up until the start of this season she played a lot of doubles Igor Sviontek you know in, right. in past seasons she's she reached the French Open final last year with with Bethany Matek Sands in doubles which I must say I'd totally forgotten about and yet this season she's made a total commitment to not play doubles at all she's focusing on singles and now it almost feels a bit like an alternate universe, Igor Sviontek playing doubles. It's like, well, why would she do that? She doesn't need to. She's she's the established world number one in singles. It would be a bit strange to think of Igor Sviontek entering some doubles draws at the moment. Now, of course, I think doubles have helped a lot. I think it's helped Sviontek. I think it's helped Pagul. I think it's helped Goff. But it's very, very hard, I think, to be at the top in both. You know, we saw it with even Krejcikova, Last year, she played a lot of matches and she had a lot of injury troubles at the start of this year, didn't she? And I think a bit of wear and tear on the body. I do wonder whether Pagula and Goff are going to have to maybe adjust things next year. I, I, I absolutely am not saying that they should ditch doubles altogether because I think I almost think there are benefits beyond the actual tennis. I think having that, having someone on the tour who you're a partner with is, is a good thing and keeping you loose... You know, I, th- I think there are lots and lots of benefits, but I think there's probably a reason that there haven't been that many players at the top in both singles and doubles over the last few years. It's it's just extremely physically draining. I think Krejcikova felt that at the start of this year, and I think maybe Pagula and Goff are 
kind of feeling that now. And I just wonder whether mm. whether the example of Iga Swiatek, the way she's completely committed to singles, is is going to be something something that Pagula and and Goff look at as they as they look to sort of develop from here. It's yeah, it's going to be interesting. But Garcia, of course, is is another example of as you said, someone who's who's benefited from playing doubles in the past because her ability to finish points at the net and the the just the sort of touch and control she has up there seems seems better than a lot of the other players. Yeah. Yeah. Right then. So Garcia Sakari and Sviantek and Sabalanka. Who who have we got? Who have we got winning these matches, Matt? It's interesting, isn't it? It's actually three of the four US Open semi finalists, I I I realised and sh- Igor Sviantek Sabalenka is a repeat of their semi final at the US Open, and then um, they've played a lot over the last uh, year. I've got them down having played five matches since this time last year, um, and uh, Sabalenka won the first of those seven five in the third at last year's WTO finals. But then the next three matches, six sets to zero for Sviantek, and none of them closer than six three. Mm. And and then the U.S. Open semi-final where Sabalenka was up a set and then up a break in the final set and really was in a position to win that. She was not far from winning that match until Sviantek sort of locked her game down and, and accelerated to the finish. I think she won 16 of the last 20 points of that match. I'm going to I'm going to pick Sviantek. Absolutely. Mm. But yeah, I think I think Sviantek's aware of the threat that Sabalenka poses. I just... I struggled to see, as we talked about, Sabalenka just not having a dip that Sviantek can take advantage of. Like Sabalenka needs to play a pretty perfect match, I think, or perfect two sets, and I'm not, I'm not confident that she'll be able to do that. Plus, Sviantek's level is just, just so high. So I'm going with Sviantek. Mm. Garcia Sakari feels utterly fifty-fifty to me. I'm going Garcia. I've gone for her for the title. Main, mainly because I need the points. <laughs> I wouldn't have got much for Sviantek. And I actually think, I mean, I think Garcia is a good, a good secondary pick. Um, I don't think she is the favourite, but I think she, she is the one player who plays in a way that, even now, having lost to Sviantek, I still think if Sviantek had a bad day, for instance, you never know. But then if they do face each other, it'd be in a final. And we know what happens with Sviantek in finals, <laughs> unless you're Barbara Krachigova or one or two others. But I, I would go for Garcia, but I mean, it's it feels this Sakari with this confidence, that's going to be very interesting to see whether this 3-0 and record coming in in the group stages. I mean, the the record between them is 2-0 and for Garcia, um, but their most recent one played in the summer, I think in Cincinnati, was very close, two tie-break sets, uh, one each, and then a 6-1 comfortable third set for Garcia. But... I don't know that that really could go either way in a sort of a pickem kind of match. I'll go Sakari just to make things a little bit interesting. I just I just think okay. I, I totally agree with the point you made that it changes a bit now for Sakari. Now she's in the semi-finals. Now there is a bit more pressure. But I've just really liked liked her this week I think she's I think she's played really well and that was a pretty grueling match for Garcia last night it wouldn't wouldn't totally surprise me if she's I don't know if there's a bit of an energy lull today but mm. uh yeah I'll I'll, I'll go with Sack. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello tennis podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. In the doubles, if anybody beats Barbara Krachikova and Katerina Sinyakova this week, I think they'll be worthy of a bit of extra prize money, frankly, because they have looked so good. Um, they look so in sync. Krachikova now being as fresh as she is because there have been periods of the year where she couldn't play because of injury. That, I mean, they just destroyed Pegula and Goff the other day. And I, I know maybe that's not that representative because, as we've spoken about with Goff and Pegula, there's a, a fatigue element going on. But they're up against Kitchenok and Ostapenko, the fifth seeds of Krachikova and Siniakova. And in the other semi-final, I think it, it's expected really that Kudamatova and Mertens will come through. Um, they're up against Kravchik and Demichur. So, yeah, I, I would imagine Krachikova, Siniakova against Kudamatova and Mertens on form is is what we could expect. And that could end up being a brilliant final. So we'll, we'll watch with interest. And and I hope a lot of people watch with interest in the stadium because the crowds have been a talking point. Now, it's it's so difficult, we should say, to to put on an event from scratch, from a standing start, with two months' notice, and to promote it sufficiently in order to get enough people through the doors to make it look full, to, to, to make it thrive. And, and I think... It, I I have to say I felt down a bit downbeat at the start of the week because 
they have a cavernous big stadium in Fort Worth. Looks a beautiful stadium, but it, it's one of those slightly echoey ones where you can hear the constant humming of the air conditioning in the stadium and and there aren't that many people in it. There are a lot of empty seats. I think they've done well to bring them all to the to the front so that the TV view most of the time has has the most amount of people in. And the crowds, it feels, have grown as the week has gone on. It has, last night felt like a good atmosphere. But I'm comparing it to a year ago in Guadalajara, which was so such a carnival feeling to it and this this hasn't been that from afar on the tv now i'm not there i don't know what it feels like but it's been a shame but i also think it's kind of inevitable really when you're trying to arrange a tournament at such short notice um and those are the cards that they've been dealt at the moment having taken what is a stance i utterly support of not playing in china with the you know it's it's more than a year now since uh peng shui initially made her post and and her allegations and and went missing and and we still don't know exactly what sort of situation she's in so i i do support their stance of moving out of china but it does have huge repercussions financially for them they've they've managed to get this excellent title sponsor Hologic of the WTA tour they're in these talks uh, with CVC about capital investment uh, for a, for a portion of the the tour but still you know these are these are problems that they face they've got this they've still got 8 years left of this 10 year agreement with Shenzhen in China to host the WTA finals and they can't go there so that they're constantly having to arrange alternatives and i heard um Mickey Lawler the the president of the WTA tour talking on prime video this week saying do we know where we're going to be next year no no we don't not at this moment and and i feel for them all that i i really hope that they can find some continuity because building an event and building attraction in a venue and in a, in a in a a geographical location does take time sometimes and i'd love it if they could have gone back to guadalajara i understand that wasn't doable but uh, yeah i mean i do feel a bit downbeat about it yeah and i i think what you've said there is is the big worry, isn't it? They they're going to keep being in this position because of the eight year eight years left they have on the Shenzhen deal. They're constantly going to be looking for short term fixes, one year at a time, and not having the time to market it, to choose the venue, to to attract enough people to know that it's happening and and to want to go. I think I think they've also said that they've really struggled to find places in Europe that want the event just I guess because of the cost so yeah they're kind of they're kind of a little bit stuck at the moment the WTA I mean Guadalajara showed last year that they can I don't know whether lucky is the right word but they can it can work because it was amazing last year that you know on a on a short term it was a short term thing but it it worked and the crowd was amazing and the atmosphere was great this year Fort Worth hasn't been the same it's been smaller crowds it's it's felt a little bit flat and lacking in energy but as you said it has improved a bit as the week's gone on so you sort of think well do you do you try and stick there now and build off what you've what you've achieved this year otherwise next year you're kind of starting from scratch again somewhere else so it's it's very very difficult and completely completely 
unideal situation and it's the players I feel most most sorry for really because you know they're the they're the absolute elite best players in the world there's there's a lot of people that want to be watching them play tennis and they're playing in in, in venues which which can't which can't sell out and yeah it's it's a shame yeah yeah what one person we did see in the crowd though uh, wearing his tennis podcast hoodie on TV was uh, Matthew Moffat. And I just wanted to say hello to him <laughs> because, uh, uh, you know, we, we love to see that. And actually, uh, a fellow listener, Alison Black, uh, was also in the stadium in Fort Worth and spotted him from afar <laughs> and went over to, to introduce herself. So those are the stories we love here on the Tennis Podcast. So thank you both uh, so much for uh, for giving us a bit of a shout out. Um now, we have uh, a little bit of uh, housekeeping to do at the end of the podcast, as we always do. I mentioned Paris. It's Holger Rune against Novak Djokovic in the final today. Loads to talk about there. We'll get into that tomorrow on tomorrow morning's show. Um, but uh, we have a mascot for this episode, and that is appropriately named Bagel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the day that uh, Igor Sviantek... Uh, registers what is it 20 somethingth bagel of the of the year her 22nd of the year goodness extraordinary well bagel is a 15 year old male siberian forest cat how cool is that living in austin texas uh, owned by David Kalina. Uh, much like his favourite tennis player, Stefano Sitsipas, Bagel comes from Russian ancestry, features flowing long hair, dynamic athleticism, and a bit of a fiery edge when it comes to playtime. Neither has won the big one yet, and both tend to come across a bit aloof at times. <laughs> <laughs> Bagel also admires Bianca Andreescu's magnetism for drama and Roger Federer's elegance and grace. His favourite surface is clay. <laughs> um, magnificent. David, thank you so much for uh, sending that lovely picture of Bagel, who we're going to put in our newsletter this week. Um, if you're not signed up to the newsletter, there's a link in our show notes so that you can uh, make sure you get that every single week. Matt? We haven't actually talked this through yet, but I think it's going to be a very mascot-heavy newsletter isn't it because we're doing we're doing one mascot per episode and we have more episodes than we have newsletters coming out so <laughs> i don't know there's just going to be a lot of pictures of pets in that newsletter if you're into them maybe we'll have to do a special edition mascot <laughs> newsletter <laughs> anyway m- marvelous to have uh bagel with us uh, for this episode so thank you uh, david for uh signing up and and in fact you know we're now just about a month away from the opportunity for those of you that would like to have your pet as our mascot to be able to have that opportunity to sign up because we do it annually basically obviously we we have our friends of the tennis podcast subscription system which gives you access to bonus podcasts i think we've produced more than 25 extra podcasts this year that's q and a's with us um podcast reviews of the Grand Slams um, a couple of days after they finish with voice notes from some of our favourite contributors included in them. Uh, We've also got Tennis Relived, which we've produced eight of those over the last uh, 
12 months um so you know these are the sort of shows that uh that, that are available to all friends of the tennis podcast uh we've got our shout outs we've got our intros that we had cast at the start of this show um as our intro today and we do those year round but then every year and it'll be december the 8th that we start again we have mascot opportunities for each episode we also have our own mascots i've got darwin catherine's got carter matt's got the dearly departed gerald the cat and uh, uh yes they've sponsored us year round which is uh, fantastic to be our mascot billy jean the dog catherine's dog who had her birthday a couple of days ago is sponsored by billy jean king and alana kloss who got involved at the end of uh, last year when things opened on December the 8th. Um, So, yeah, we've got all those slots available again. We've also got our executive producer opportunities if you want to uh, uh, support us big time like Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner, our top blokes, did. Um, So, yeah, those will all be available um, in just over a month. We'll let you know when they're live. And if you want to have your mascot as uh, your pet as one of our mascots, you can do exactly that. And I mentioned shout outs, Matt. Who have we got? We have another five today, and the first one is for Sue Render in Topton, Pennsylvania. All right, Sue, Pennsylvania, which is uh, home of the American office, I seem to remember, albeit not in uh, wherever Sue's from. (laughs) Topton. (laughs) Topton, yes. What is it, Scranton, Scranton, is it, or something like that for for, uh, The Office? Anyway, one of my favourite shows. And Sue likes Sue Barker, so a very good, very good tennis name there. Absolutely. We've also got Deepa Moksha Gundam from St. Louis, Missouri. All right, Deepa. St. Louis, uh, which is where my dad went when I was just a wee boy. And he came back with a, now let me get this right, I think a St. Louis Cardinals pennant for me you know one of those flags for me to put on my wall and i sort of became a a fan of theirs for a a short while (laughs) okay i was going to say that that is where tim ream is from oh from fulham fc fulham legend who was unable to defend his box yesterday successfully and resulting in a manchester city 96 minute winner sorry matt We got through 53 <laughs> minutes without you mentioning that, David. Sorry. Tim Ream was not at fault and should be going to the World <laughs> Cup. I'm saying it. <laughs> Deeper, thank you so much for uh, being a friend of the Tennis Podcast. We've also got Joey Barton. and ha- Have we? Joey writes in brackets, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> All which, right, Joey. Which is a relief. Uh, this Jerry is from Newcastle-upon-Tyne, and he says that his first ever tennis match that he saw live was when his dad took him to court one at Wimbledon as a child in 2003, and they saw a 16-year-old wildcard Maria Sharapova beat Yelena wow. Dokic. That's a good line. It is, isn't Very it? Very good. So that's the year before she won Wimbledon. Mm. Um, and, it, and it's actually 2003. That's the year I worked I think for the second time for BBC Radio and I interviewed Maria Sharapova live on air as a 16 year old Joey and uh, and I said to her what are your ambitions in the sport and she said I want to be world number one and she just looked me in the eye in a way that made me believe she will be world number one Mm -hmm. never forget it 
Yeah, because some players say that with a look in the eye that does not make you believe. <laughs> That's right. Mm. I could probably reel off a hundred, <laughs> but I won't because it would be mean. <laughs> We've also got John Mappley in Boston, Massachusetts. All right, John. And John says that he met his husband, Robert, through their tennis league and they got married at the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Oh, Wow, that's amazing. Which is great, isn't it? And they completed their spectator slams, so attending all the slams, during their honeymoon in Australia in 2019. That's so cool. We love spectator that. Spectator slams, yeah. I mean, obviously we've, we work at them, but that, is a, that feels like a real moment, doesn't mm. it? To, to, to go to them all. Yeah, and in fact, Australia 2019 was when, was when I completed my... Slam. That was my first trip yeah. to Australia. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, Australia, Matt. Oh, can't wait. It's happening. Excellent. And finally, we've got a belated happy birthday shout out for Thomas Rondo, or maybe Thomas Rondo, because Thomas is Belgian living in New York. And that is the 30th birthday shout out from Katie, Mark, and Simone. Oh, that's fantastic. Thomas is a keen tennis fan and absor- absorber of trivia since he was a little boy in rural Belgium playing against the barn wall in the style of different players. And uh, I actually met Thomas at the US Open this year. We had a very nice chat. Lovely guy. That's great. Well, belated happy birthday, Thomas. I know it's belated and it's my fault because I, <laughs> I didn't read the email in time when uh, Simona initially sent it in and wanted to wish you a happy birthday. So I take all the blame, uh, but we, uh, we hope we've made it up to you a little bit here. Uh, a huge happy birthday for Matt then. And thank you all for being supporters of the tennis podcast friends of the tennis podcast we hope you've all enjoyed the bonus content we've produced throughout the year we've got loads more ideas and things we want to do in the years to come um we're already planning 2023 and frankly it's because of you all that we're able to do this um you know it's a it's a big old commitment to to go to three for three weeks to australia we absolutely will love it um and it's because of you that we're able to do it so thank you all um, for being shout-out supporters and, uh, and you can get a shout-out yourself if you'd like to have one. So, Matt, you better go and pack for Glasgow. <laughs> uh, Catherine's going to go and present Prime Video's coverage of Paris this afternoon. Then we're all going to be up in the middle of the night watching the WTA finals, semi-finals. Uh, then we're going to be back tomorrow morning with a new podcast to review those and Paris. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to preview the Billie Jean King Cup and we're going to have daily podcasts throughout the week. Is that about right? It is. It's a good job you're back from holiday, David. And yeah, it's it's nice to have you back. Yeah, feeling energetic, folks. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> okay, we'll be back in uh, a few short hours. I uh, hope <laughs> you enjoy the Paris final, the WTA semis. And uh, yeah, we'll speak to you soon. 
and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.